Um, what game do you want to start us off with? Who you are, what this is? What are we dropping on the feed this time? I am Morgan Greensmith. I am the creator, writer, and co-producer of the Attic Monologues, which is, if you don't know what that is, I am quite confused as to how you got onto this episode, but um, maybe go back in a few episodes and try it random. You know, maybe don't start with this one. Um, yeah. And who are you, person asking me questions? Person asking you questions is called LM Clohesi. I am the director, the assistant producer, and the script editor for The Attic Monologues. So we are going to jump into the questions. Our first two are from Indiegogo, so they are courtesy of some of our lovely backers. And the first one is from Kedro, who asked loving all the little classics references are they hinting at anything in particular or just because you love the classics it's a little bit of both on the on the one hand the classics runs in my blood uh, i do a, I did i suppose i should say um a classics and english undergrad so i've done a lot of you know work on that sort of thing and when i was writing the attic monologues it was during my undergrad so it was very much like me taking what i'd learnt in in different classes and then just sort of chucking it in there when I thought it was interesting um but also like I've been sort of mired in the classics my whole life I did seven years of Latin because who doesn't do seven years of Latin you know just for fun um and yeah I'm a big I'm a big classics nerd but also also the whole way that the magic system works in the attic monologues is very tied into that sort of classical literature and some of the ideas that I picked up in some of my classes, especially, you know, we've talked about Kleos a bit and that will become more and more important. And it's very much sort of like that theory and the theory of storytelling and all that stuff, which is sort of like an inherently classical thing. And also having a character who has a hyperfixation in classics allows me to just info dump about classics when I feel like it, which is fun. So, yeah. But there will be a lot more classics where that came from in season two, both in sort of like influences and also maybe in sort of a, a few more extra things that might be, might be coming your way. So the next question is also from an Indiegogo backer who wished to remain anonymous. And it's, I've been loving the soundscaping, particularly in the post credit scenes. Where does the inspiration come from and how do you get the different effects? This would probably be better given to our sound designers, but I guess we can talk, Morgan, about how how do you write in a way that is supporting our sound designers? Mm. Our sound designer for season one is currently at the fringe, so she's a little busy. Um, so <laughs> she's she's taking the month. Um, so, but I can talk about sort of like I definitely have adapted how I write the sound effects as I've sort of written scripts to sort of help the sound designers understand my vision but also give them a leaping board for their own ideas so I'm very sort of I'm very over visual with my sound effects and with my scripts in general I'll describe things that you will not be able to perceive either in the sound or in the visuals because there's no visuals um so it's very it's very vibes based um but yeah I'm I'm not quite as bad as uh Johnny Magnus Archive Sims going the world goes wrong but um I do have a few bits like uh, somebody is torn apart as they turn into a bird or magic wibbly sound or monologue sound tm so 
well the way Anna at least from what I've talked to her about how she makes her sound effects she does actually make all of her own sound effects because she's very particular about how they sound so I have walked into her house before and she's been like look at this chair look at this chair and like scrape the chair going forth this is the chair from episode three uh which is pretty cool so um we do we do love that um yeah it's a lot of a lot of backwards and forwards thinking a lot of I'm on the phone to Anna as I'm walking around uh, my city while the rain is going down she's like could you just could you just put it on loudspeaker so I should just record the rain while we talk and I'm like yeah okay <laughs> yeah or when the fire alarm went off when she was visiting me she was like hang on hang on guys I'll be out in a sec I just need to record this for episode 13 <laughs> and now I get jump scared whenever I listen to episode 13 because um that fire alarm went off too many times in my third year and it, it traumatized me deeply. So the next question is from at the lyric, the poet, the dreamer uh, on Instagram. So what sparked the idea behind the show? Is it bad if I say that was like three whole years ago? So I've really lost the plot on what happened because that was like deep pandemic years. <laughs> no, I I remember you showing up to the podcast club at our university being like, I have an idea about monologues because I feel like there aren't enough monologues for people to perform at auditions. There we go. You remember it better than I do. Um, yeah. I feel like it was, it was a little bit of that because I did like do a drama A-level and I was living with drama students and I was very much like in that sort of headspace of why are there not more cool vibey monologues? Why do you have to go digging for like the weirdest nonsense? And, you know, and it's always the same monologues. Like I saw a TikTok recently that was like, oh my God, you just know that every casting director who went to see Barbie, where as soon as they saw the like speech that America Ferrera gives, they just put their head in their hands and they were like, we're going to be hearing this for years. So like, I wanted to give people some other vibes um, and then also create a meta-narrative around it. And I have had other people tell me that they've used uh, the monologues for auditions, which is pretty cool. Especially episode 10, the author's note, which is just <laughs> so funny because it's just like, I am an unhinged man who is going to slide into your DMs and threaten you have fun and on top of that I think I was it was deep pandemic years and like we were doing podcast society and Joe the uh head of podcast society at the time was very much like I need an idea and I went okay and I just came up with this idea just before um NaNoWriMo and so I just wrote about it and obviously Magnus Archives was just ending and it was very much like I need something to fill this void I'm not a horror writer, though. This is an urban fantasy show. It's not a horror show. It's not. <laughs> Five episodes later. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. And the lyric, the poet, the dreamer also asks, who's your favourite character to write? That's really hard. Who's your favourite character to listen to or direct? That's, that's my point <laughs> for you, Elle. Um, I mean, the author is fun because they just get to chew on the scenery. You know, he's like, I know exactly what's going on. You don't, you don't get to know, but I do. And I'm having a great time. I think he's also like the only character who is consistently having a good time. Like everybody else kind of isn't. <laughs> Season two spoilers, but the author's <laughs> having a great time. Probably Agatha is my favorite to write. I'm not just saying that because the voice actor is in the room with me. Agatha's just, she just doesn't give a shit. She's just, like, there is a very direct narrative that all the other characters are following, except Nyx, who keeps wandering off. And then Agatha just 
bulldozes through everything like all of the building plot and tension that you've been expecting and she just walks in and is like hey magic is real and fuck you and then walks out and it, i just love her so much she's she was supposed to be a small character and she's not anymore because she's just so fun to write so it's gotta be her okay and then we're gonna combine a question from the lyric the power of the dreamer with a question from anonymous about can you share a favorite non-spoilery line from season two or can we get an out of context spoiler for season two i have a line that i can say and then morgan you can edit this out if it's too spoilery she refuses to take her rings off to make it a fair fight I do love that line. That's a good line. <laughs> um, give her a spine and a Molotov cocktail and she'd be right at home. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I just think it's funny. What was the other half of the question? Uh, it was just, can we get an out of context spoiler? But I think we've covered that with giving them a line. An out of context spoiler. Um, trees. There you go. That's your out of context trees. spoiler. Trees. Okay, and next, Anonymous asks, if you were in Tam, what songs would be on your character playlists? Oh, um, well, dear listener, you may not know this, but all of the characters are basically just me in a trench coat. So, um, <laughs> most, of, most of the ones that are on playlists would, would be on mine, to be perfectly honest. I feel like this, this should be more taken by you, Elle, because like, I've seen some of your playlists for characters, but... I feel like, because I make all the playlists, I'm a bit biased. I mean, I made an Agatha playlist, mm. and then it topped 100 songs. So <laughs> I didn't know that. I think... <laughs> Has it topped 100 or just not quite yet? That's still, absolutely. I, I love this. Okay, no. No, we're on 53. The 100 one was a different character. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, I don't think my next playlist is even on 100 yet. But I guess one from there is Hard Times by Paramore. Mm. Because I feel it's a very Agatha-coded song. But if you were a character in the Atti monologues... But I play a character. I play Agatha. Yeah. Are you the character? Are we getting <laughs> that meta? I don't think so. But I think I would also have hard times. I'm just going through like my, my chunky playlist. See, all of these are a bit too exposing my trauma. So I feel like just going, look at, look at the, act, the actual characters and um, make of that what you will. Because they're not entirely me, but I've like shaved off little chunks of me and then wrapped them in Play-Doh. So you don't know what's the Play-Doh and what's the chunk, but there's definitely something in there. That's a little metaphor for you. You're welcome. Okay, so the next question is, what podcast characters did Nyx and Bella go as for Halloween? Yes, episode eight. Oh my god, this was so much fun. Um, Nyx went as Diggory Graves from Hello from the Hallowoods, and Bella went as Aubrey Little from The Adventure Zone. Um, because I was listening to both those at the time and I thought it was funny. And the next question is, the cast are all amazing and so well chosen. If you had to reshuffle all of them, though, who would you choose to play who? <laughs> do you want to start with this question? I can do. I think it would be great to hear Royer, who plays Lola, as the author. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Royer really knows how to choose scenery in like a positive way. She's just, she's got the, like, the pizzazz. I can't remember who we even have now. <laughs> the cast has grown <laughs> so much since since we started. I think it might be cool as well to see Atlas, who plays Nyx, playing Ambrose. You know, that is such a, like, cute little, like, progression from redacted to redacted. <laughs> yes. 
I would love to see Kaz, who plays Adri, playing, I think, the author as well. I think Kaz, because mm-hmm. I've worked with Kaz, we've worked with Kaz on some other projects, and they are very good at the, the am I evil or am I just weirdly charismatic or am I threatening you kind of vibe. Maybe Kaz's Raven. Kaz's Raven would be so funny, <laughs> considering <laughs> the Adri-Raven dynamic. Oh my god, they are so similar people. It would be so funny. Well, that's why they can't stand each exactly. other. Exactly. That's the whole thing. Who would you have me play? I feel like you could do a good author as well. <laughs> this is the new compliment. Is I think you could play the author in the Attic Monologues. That's the ultimate compliment. <laughs> well, I think... I I can't remember if I found it or if another member of the crew found one of those quizzes that you can do about who you'd end up as. And I did get the antagonist. And I was like, hey! You know, yeah, I remember that. I, got, I think I got the author for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, it's perfect. I think I'd like to hear you as Athri. Ooh. I think you could have a lot of fun with that. Spicy. Ooh. Just an evil librarian, you know? Am I not just an evil librarian as somebody who works in a bookshop but in the cafe? Well, I was going to say, you can't be Ambrose because you're not cheery enough as a barista. (laughs) Wow. Uh, you've just never seen my customer service face. I am so cheery. I'm the ultimate cheery. When I have the spoon. Yeah. I, I couldn't be Ambrose though. Ambrose is too like normal. And f- I wrote Ambrose deliberately to be like, not de- like, deliberately to be funny, but like Ambrose was like all the funniness that I don't have. Like the dry humour, which Joe really just ran with. You know what? I think Soren, our social media manager, could do a great ad read. I think he has the deadpan yeah. down really well. Alternatively, Soren is Sam. Soren. The long-suffering flatmate. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. And Kit, who currently plays Sam, could also do a good Ollie. I feel like Sam and Ollie are quite yes. similar characters in that they're sort of peripheral and long-suffering and might get bigger arcs later on. So the next question is, what are you most excited about for season two? Where do I start, listener? Where do I start? <laughs> The problem with writing a podcast where you follow the quote-unquote podcast pacing where basically the whole of season one is just a prequel to the actual plot is that you can't talk about the actual plot with anybody (laughs) until season one is done. And season one took two years to release. So I'm really excited for people to know that magic exists and how the magic works and the fact that Nyx is the protagonist and how that all works because... We all knew that magic was a little bit real because it's an urban fantasy horror podcast. But the meta-narrative, being an actual meta-narrative, I couldn't talk to anyone about, including like people I lived with. So I'm really <laughs> glad that that's out there and that we could talk about it and that we're going to explore it in season two. Um, I think that's what I'm most excited for. But also seeing the author. We've got some really, really good author stuff I'm so excited for. Um, yeah. Alice is just absolutely slaying it every single time. Um, what about you, Elle? So, non-spoilery, I am really looking forward to Bella and Lola's arcs Ooh. this season. Because I think this season we get to branch out a little bit from Nyx in that everybody else kind of starts getting their own plot lines, the, their own sort of things that they're dealing with mm. and how those pan out. Yeah, the elevation of Bella to more of a deuteragonist in this season is something that can be so personal. And we love. And we got hints of it in sort of like episode 14 and stuff like that. But she's proper. Spoilers to everybody. But she's a proper deuteragonist in, in season two. And we love it. 
but obviously not like Deuteragonist with a capital D. She's still the love interest. And then maybe some other roles. And then whose character development are you most proud of or did you find the most unexpected from season one? Uh, I mean, Agatha doesn't develop, but she definitely <laughs> was unexpected. <laughs> I think from what you first told me of Agatha, it was supposed to be more of a, she's just looking for someone. And then it turned into, she does not care about anything. Yes, she will fight you and win. Um, I think Ambrose's development surprised me because the way that I write all of the characters, I do write it sort of like alongside the recording process. So I do really enjoy taking in the actor's mannerisms and sort of editing the character as I go. And Joe has quite a deadpan in how he speaks, which definitely influenced Ambrose <laughs> quite a lot. Um, as uh, listeners will see in the beginning of season two, we sort of lampshade um, sort of how different Ambrose is to the original conception. Because um, Ambrose was originally this sort of like sunshine bard character that I created for a D&D campaign when I was like 17. Um, and he is he's very different now. <laughs> but I love him with all my heart. <laughs> the problem with it being a prequel season is that no one's really developed. They've all gotten a lot worse. Specifically, Bella's gotten a lot worse. And Nick's had a little dip in the beginning of, like, and, like, the middle of season one. But overall, I feel like everyone's gotten worse. But I'm very proud of how much worse they've got. And I enjoy how much worse. I remember, I think it was episode eight or nine, whatever the Seth party episode is, we did have very long discussions about how bad Nyx was going to be. Yep. Um... And as well, how bad they were going to be in episode 11. Yeah, because originally it was very much like a protagonist has to be the good guy. And the more I wrote it, the more I was like, I really want to explore different aspects of mental health and specifically like the non-sanitized aspects of mental health, which like you can't control, but still do end up hurting people and sort of how you walk that line. And Nyx and Bella and Lola and Seth have been friends for a long time, so they're very much used to hurting each other and sort of moving on from that. But there does come to a certain point where you have to sit down and like actually try and figure out how to move forward. And I think the core four boiling down and sort of starting to disintegrate a little bit is happening a lot faster than I expected it to, but I'm really enjoying how it's working out because I think we are succeeding in sort of threading that needle between sort of the two different aspects that we're trying to talk about without just diving off the edge and being like, Nyx is a terrible person or Nyx has done nothing wrong. So I'm very I'm very proud of how we've managed to do that. I feel like we've done a lot of R&D on our end to sort of like workshop how it's going to work. Lots of 3am screaming conversations, which we do love. Next question is, has there been any of the torture language in season one? <laughs> If so, how did you come up with this and why was it important for you to have a different language in the series? To explain to the listener, um, torture language is what uh, the voice actor for Ambrose, Joe, likes to call the uh, conlang that I have invented for this series. <laughs> because in season two, most of the lines with that language in it are from Ambrose and he does not enjoy having to try and pronounce those words. Um yeah, so so torture language is you know, it's it's fine. Um, so I came up with it. I took Latin and I took Old Norse, and I kind of just smooshed them together, 
it's very much just sort of cherry picking like that word sounds nice in that language and that one sounds nice in that language and I'm going to string them together into a sentence and um, we do get a lot more sort of backstory in world backstory as to why that would make sense as a language it's not just me sort of going I think this sounds cool so I'm going to do it I've actually got like in-universe thoughts about why the language is formed that way because it's not a very natural way for a language to form in any way shape or form so yeah there, there will be there'll be some reveals but it was very important for me to have a different language in the series because some of like a big part of the fun of fantasy is having to like getting to play around with language I was very into conlangs when I was in secondary school I basically learned the entirety of the hundred conlang um Trajedislang, which was written by David J. Peterson, who is one of my favourite conlangers and one of the biggest conlangers, especially in TV and film. And I just I love fantasy languages so much. I think they're so interesting, especially when they're sort of well built in. They're just really cool. They just make a world grow in such a sort of 3D way. One day I'll get a tattoo in Trinivi and it will be the lowest I've sunk to, but also the coolest I've ever been. <laughs> An anonymous wants to know which monologue was the hardest to write. I don't remember what episode it actually ended up being in, but the one that's about the library, the one that's by Matteo Ricci, um, an obsessed academic, I think is what it's called. Uh, that one was originally supposed to be in episode six, and it just did not want to write itself. It just, it kept just grinding into the dirt until I just moved it. I was like, I yeeted it to the end of the season and was like, it needs to be over there somewhere because I'm not dealing with it now. Because originally, it was basically me just info-dumping about the Oxyrhynchus papyri, um, <laughs> which is, like, deep-cut uh, classical knowledge about, like, the source of many of our, like, current classical texts is this huge pit um, that we found in Oxyrhynchus. And that that's not particularly spooky, interesting, it was just me being like, this is cool. I'm going to talk about this. And it did not make it into the final cut. Um, but once I sort of moved on with that, and also because Matteo Ricci was deliberately written in a very non-linear way, and he's kind of nuts. And that was really interesting to write, but I don't think I'll ever do it again. Because trying to follow those threads, when he can't even follow the threads, when my brain is already doing mental backflips, it was too much for me. It was too much. So that one was a struggle. Okay, and the next two questions I think we can combine, which is, when can you stop making me cry? And when can you let your characters be happy? Yeah, see, somebody else asked this in our mid-season one Q&A, and I said, never. Um, so I'm going to one-up myself this time and say, how about I make it worse? What if, what if I just make it worse? I think I think you'll enjoy it in the long run. If I if I just make it worse, a lot of our three AM conversations are about how we could make it. Oh worse. yeah, I'm always like, here, L, is this idea, and you go, yeah, but have you considered even worse? And I'm like, oh my god, this is brilliant. No one's doing it like us. We're torturing people. It's great. We're having a lot of fun doing it though. And you know, horror—that's what you come to it for. But in the long run, just know we we also love these characters. That's all, you, that's all you need to know, I feel like, going into this season and this series. You need to know that, like, yeah, we're torturing the characters, but we also love them. So some of them, at least, will be safe. That's the most cryptic I can be. And the next question should be a short and sweet one, which is, which character is the most gender? I feel like it's gotta be Adri. I don't know. 
I was going to say Raven. Raven's definitely doing gender like no one else. And we've discussed Athri and Raven are two sides of the same coin. You know, they're both gendering and they're trying to outgender each other, but they don't register that they're trying to outgender each other. They're just like, yeah, I am the best dressed bitch around here. I, like, what do you mean? I'm the coolest person on the block. And then everyone else is just looking at them being like, "Why? when did it become Paris Fashion Week? What is What is going on here? Hello? <laughs> Are you okay? It's a Tuesday. Can you breathe outside of those feathers? Are you okay? Yeah. But then I feel like Nyx is very much doing the like queer university student gender like no one else. Like they've got it down. They've got the crazy hair. They're wearing the dungarees. They're thriving. I mean, I think Lola's Halloween outfit was very gender. Oh my God, yeah. Lola's Halloween outfit was like weird Barbie on steroids, but like also like Midsummer Night's Dream and Glitter. And honestly, what more could you want? Every character in this show has so much gender because I'm just packing it full. Because I'm like, I don't know what that is. Throw it in. That's a gender. Have fun. And next is, what was your inspiration for The Secret City? The Secret City, aka Trinavantum. Honestly, it was my romance from Chaucer to Shakespeare module um, in third year because we were learning a lot about the history of Troy and the history of English romance literature, which I'm still writing that essay on a year later. Uh, listeners should know it's due in 60 hours, and I am instead recording this Q&A, but it's fine. Um, yes. So I was really interested in that sort of influence of classical literature and thought on early English thought, as opposed to where my most of my focus has been for my undergrad, which was modern uh, thought and how it has been influenced by classical literature. So looking at how, that and looking at this concept called translatio imperii, which is this concept of people claiming that they're descended from Troy in order to bolster their own political status. My brain was kind of like, what if that was real? What if, what if Troy literally used to move? What if actually maybe there was a city underneath Troy that was the main goal and what if it was moving around? And then what if it got stuck in England? Because goddamn London. Yeah, I was really processing my thoughts of having moved out of London and being like, wow. <laughs> oh, London's... Why is London like that? Jesus Christ. I think that was that was a big influence in me, in me writing it the way I did, was me processing I that. will say, occasionally uh, Morgan and Soren will say things and I'll have to just take a moment and be like, that is one of the most London things I have ever had. I'm learning. I'm a recovered Londoner. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying real hard. Great. Next. Uh, is there any such thing as a neurotypical person in your podcast? No. Next question. <laughs> I'm not neurotypical. So no one I write knows how to be neurotypical. I couldn't write a neurotypical character if I tried. Um, and the main crux of the show is how do people deal with mental health? when there's also this huge, bloody, magical plot going on in the background. So, no. Why would I do that? You're welcome. <laughs> and the final question we have here is, can you do an April Fool's episode? Okay, so this is kind of a joke question. This is this is from my friend Alex. Um, we've had a lot of conversations about the April Fool's episode. Uh, and I definitely have considered it. And I would definitely like to do it one day in the future. Um, and it would be Ambrose-centric and it would probably be a sort of the older generation of the show, you know, Ambrose, Adri, Raven, Agatha, 
etc etc and it would just be the kids are gone for the weekend what havoc is going on here i feel like that could be a lot of fun and maybe one day when we have the time and the money we will get around to it and the preparation to make sure that it comes out on the first of april trying to organize people's calendars to make sure an episode comes out on the april fool's day like would be a nightmare we'd have to start thinking about it this year for it to come out in like 2026 so you know well also um a bit of insider knowledge for you is that me and morgan had a four-hour conversation in order to work out when all of our main characters birthdays were to make it work within season one and season two of the show we cracked it and now no one will just no time will ever pass again so i don't have to deal with people's birthdays that's fine I just, you know, I've always been that person who's like, why is there this like teeny like discrepancy in a show? Like, how does the creator not remember their own lore? And then I'm out here being like, when's this character's birthday? Are they allergic to something? What's their favorite food? Wait, I said this character doesn't have a phone, but they're on the phone in this episode. How do we deal with that? (laughs) I... I need a wiki, honestly. I need to make my own wiki for my own show because I genuinely cannot keep track of the information that I've already disseminated or decided. Because a lot of it is decided on the fly. Or just, I'm like, that sounds cool. And then I immediately forget it. Or it's been like three years since the episode came out. So it just doesn't register in my brain. So that's fun. And I'm so sorry to all of the authors who I mocked for not remembering their own lore. Because this, this shit's hard. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of the Q&A. Do you have anything to say to our listeners before they jump into season two, L? Buckle up. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, we really just hit the ground running. Have fun. Um, check those content warnings. None of the characters will be having fun, <laughs> but you can have fun listening to them not yeah. have fun. That is a quote that I can give everybody to leave on. This is from episode 27. Watching fictional people be sad and afraid is like cathartic. You're welcome. Just before we go, thank you to all of our Indiegogo backers for helping us to make season two into an actual thing where we can pay people, which is very exciting. So thank you all. Genuinely, thank you so much. This show has grown in ways that we could never have predicted when we started it back in our little podcast society back in second slash third year it's become such an amazing experience and having the money to continue it is just so exciting and i can't wait for you guys to see where it goes and you will be hearing from us very soon Goodbye. bye